0: Welcome to the Nifty Podcast, presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all around the world. Film stars here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. My name is Dan Hudson. Um, I'm Nifty's executive director, um, and I also program some of the narrative short films. Um, and I was super excited when Heights uh, uh, came across my uh, metaphorical desk <laughs> uh, as we were programming the festival this year. Um, and uh, it is um, in our centerpiece uh, showcase um, coming up, um, premiering we're, we're, when we're recording this podcast. It hasn't quite yet premiered at the festival yet, um, but I'm still super stoked to talk to the writer and director of Hype. Um, so uh, Major, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, how are you? Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Major Dorfman. Um, I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm the writer
0: director of Heights. Sweet. Um, I I like to jump right into it. So we'll we'll skip over some of the uh, some of the you know incidental like fluffy questions because I got I got I got cues. So I hope you got some A's for me. Oh,
1: good. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> um. So to jump right into it, um. You know, we don't get a lot of MFA films, um, and it looks like this was a MFA at Columbia University project for you. Uh, I think part of that might just be, you know, the fact that at a NIFTY, um, you have to be under a certain age, and a lot of people, um, you know, if they go for a grad program in film, are a, little, are a little older, maybe in their 30s or 40s or something, but you're you you jumped right into the NSA program at a younger age, so I'm just curious to hear like what that what that program has been like for you. What what the decision was like to um, kind of jump straight into grad school out of like an undergraduate program.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I uh, I this I was I just missed the cutoff for the the under 25. I was 24 when I made this film, um, but yeah, I, I got my undergrad at Emerson College in film production, and um, it was a very good broad sort of degree and training in all aspects of filmmaking. But when I graduated, I kind of said to myself, uh, I want more formal training in directing. I want to be a director and I want to learn from some very good directors. And I had heard about Columbia's program um, from some people who would graduated and they talked about how essential it was to their career. Um, So I applied in my last semester of Emerson and I I wasn't expecting to get in, Um, but I did. And um, yeah, actually I I was in, um, There were a few, um, I'd say about a quarter of the program is students around my age. I mean, there are some older students for sure, but there's a lot of, you know, early 20 to mid 20 year old MFA students in the uh, the Columbia program. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm still in it in my fourth year. I'm hopefully going to graduate soon, but uh, it's a bit of a crazy time with these, you know, COVID production restrictions. So,
0: um, you know,
1: who knows what can happen.
0: Yeah, are you, are you currently in development on like some sort of thesis or capstone or something to that, that program?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I was supposed to shoot my thesis um, actually like right now, you know, uh, back in March, that was our, our plan. Uh, right now, we're planning on shooting next July. Um, that's our plan right now. You know, like I said, who knows what can happen. But um, yeah, right now, you know, it's just uh, getting the script in really good shape until uh we're allowed to shoot it safely
0: yeah and as i, I mentioned earlier um this film uh is uh you know an official selection of nifty um got into um, one of our um showcase screenings this year um but i think your your film is, is played some some other festivals or is you know premiered on some some online uh platforms and stuff so just want to hear a little bit from you kind of like what's What's the journey been like um, for your film? Like, how much of that, uh, like, you know, is a little bit, maybe a little bit different this year uh, with for sure. so much disruption to festivals and stuff? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. When I finished the film, you know, I submitted it to um, some larger festivals and got rejected from a lot of them, um, and uh, and then you know, COVID happened, and so I was in this mind space. Okay, if everything's going to turn virtual. Um, maybe I should stay ahead of the game and submit to some of the more established, uh, online platforms. Um, so, um, it's played on, uh, director's notes, um, played on, uh, boom TV, uh, this other platform called beyond the short. Um, and I realized that, you know, at, at this, uh, kind of this weird period submitting to these online platforms is a, it's kind of a great way to get some momentum and get, just get people to watch your, your stuff, um, so uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think uh, I've had some luck with the, with the online platforms and um, you know uh, I, and also I think festivals are also more forgiving. Um, you know, if your films are already online, I think they're more forgiving at the, uh, this during this period to uh, still accept your film.
0: Well, yeah, no, I mean, Nifty Nifty is part of a, like a group of festivals um, that specifically um, like signed kind of like a, like a, it just was called like a pledge or something it's like yeah, we yeah, will yeah. Accept films. but nifty in general we're we're a little bit more forgiving or i don't know if they want to say forgiving but like we don't have we don't have like a festival premiere status requirement like even before covid so it didn't make like a ton of difference for us generally speaking we tend not to screen films that have been like super widely distributed online like a film's got like millions of views it's like you know it's uh, us like programming it or screening it, it's not gonna like put right. that much more like boost behind it or win in the sales. But no yeah, I mean definitely it is a little bit different this year. Um but we, we're always trying to like support the best release strategy for any individual film and we leave that up to the filmmaker. Yeah. Um but no it's cool to it's cool to hear that um that was a good experience for you that even if you didn't necessarily have the festival run that you would have like been looking for first that the online platforms have been pretty good for you yeah i love i love films uh with titles that are like have a little bit of like a a, a hook to them so sure. um the the this is a double entendre with washington heights right like the name is still, okay.
1: oh definitely yeah
0: <laughs> i was like yeah i feel that
1: <laughs> yeah you know what's funny is that uh, we uh, i'm weird with titles we thought of this title uh like after we edited the movie so you know i I, we went through like three different titles and then um you know we finished the movie and then my producer natalia just said why don't we just call it like heights and uh we're like why did we not think of that before um but yeah uh heights has a double meaning shot in washington heights and uh most of the story takes place on a rooftop
0: speaking of washington heights um you know the uh a lot of for a lot of folks um, they might be more familiar with um, that neighborhood in New York um, from the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. And like there was supposed to be a movie version of it coming out <laughs> this year. So so what is how does it feel now to like have like the biggest like Washington Heights <laughs> yeah. of the year?
1: <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my mom, my mom uh, was telling her friends about my movie. And she told me that one of her friends said, oh, my God, I'm so excited to see it. I've heard about the Broadway play. Uh, Now I'm excited (laughs) to see, you know, your son's movie Heights. She thought it was I I made a movie, you know, based off uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's play. But, um, yeah, I know it feels great to have uh, the biggest movie about Washington Heights this year.
0: (laughs) Well, I'd love to, I'd love to jump in to talk a little bit more about just like the making of the film and some of the aspects of it that like really resonated for me and stood out for me. Uh, First of all, um, these kids, man, these kids, they're so great. Um, What, you know, I'll start off by just like the casting process. Like, how did you find them? They they were just, they were so mesmerizing. I was just like completely like immersed in their world for the, the whole film
1: yeah yeah we um so we reached out to this uh kids theater group uh in inwood um just north of washington heights called the people people's theater project um we sent them like a breakdown of some you know the kind of kids we were looking for and they sent us a photo of these two boys uh the two younger boys that um you know you see in the film um and uh you know i went in and i watched one of their uh theater rehearsals and i just talked to them a bit and told them you know what the movie's about and i said would you be interested in you know, working on this and, um, yeah, it it was just great. It was also great that the, the two boys that were actually already friends, you know, so they had a rapport, um, which, uh, I think you can tell when you watch the movie, you know, the, it just, it looks like these kids know each other. Um, but, um, yeah, we cast very early. We cast probably like six weeks before we shot. Um, and, uh, a lot of it, a lot of the, um, you know, in those six weeks was just meeting with the kids. And just talking about, you know, each scene, asking them what they thought each scene was about. Um, I didn't give them, they they didn't see a script until, you know, a few days before we shot. Um, We just kind of, we just discussed, you know, each scene, what, you know, what they thought it was really about. And uh, the kids kind of, in rehearsals, would come up with their own lines and their own movements and what they wanted to do. And um, it was just a really organic way of, of, of working with kids that age um and allowing them to kind of you know be their own creative selves so a lot of what you see in the film is choices that they made in rehearsals um and then i did give them a script you know a week out of production um so they had some you know structure of what was going to happen on set you know but they were just like reviewing it they were just reading it to just kind of remember what everything was you know what was going to happen
0: um i love that the the flossing scene which is one of the earliest scenes in the film. Uh, I don't know how to floss. Yeah. <laughs> so, I learned I learned
1: uh, from I learned from him making the movie. By the end of the shoot, oh, really? I, I could floss really well, yeah.
0: Nice. Um was that like something that was kind of like improvised or was that like a scene that like you had in advance kind of like uh, out?
1: So uh in rehearsals, um Michael is the name of the the actor, um he like he was just flossing all the time and, you know, he was doing all the Fortnite dances um, and uh, it was just really funny every time he just broke out the floss. And so I was like, we need to put that in the movie somehow. I was like, okay, what if we had a scene where, you know, he's teaching his friend how to floss. Can we use that? Um, I don't It was just fun to watch. You know, I think like some stuff on screen with kids, you know, kids dancing or a kid teaching other kids how to do a dance move. is just inherently interesting, you know? So that's kind of how that came Definitely. about.
0: So, like, let's, let's dive into the story itself. Um, this, you know, uh, without giving too much away, hopefully everybody that is, that is listening to this podcast will have seen the film, you know, before, before listening to this. But, um, this is, this is about as pitch black, uh, coming of age story as it gets. Um, like what, at, at what point did like the kind of inciting event um, like really kind of solidify for you. And like, was that, was that kind of the jumping off point for the whole story for you? Or, um, or is that something that just like sort of escalated, like upon like rewriting the script or.
1: Yeah, I guess the story kind of came. Well, I, I had been living in Washington Heights for a year. Um, I moved for school and I, uh, my apartment was in Washington Heights. And at the end of that year, I was, um, you know, we were in school, we were, um, I think we make an eight to 12 minute film. And, um, yeah, I guess just walking to and from the subway every day, you know, just seeing all these young kids just like hanging out, you know, outside bodegas. I just kind of was seeing it so much that I when I was bringing pen to paper, I was like, well, what a, what would a day, what would a summer day, what could happen between a couple of kids in this neighborhood? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love I love stories about brothers. Um, I just love. Uh, you know, sibling dynamics. And I thought, okay, what would happen if we forced two brothers to deal with a crisis and how can we watch that relationship change? Um, But, you know, the, the, the incident, the specific incident that happened in the movie, I guess, um, I don't know if that just came out of uh, like an image of a rooftop and the New York skyline. And I thought, what, how can we create some sort of situation between two boys to uh, you know, just kind of, rambunctious boys on a rooftop what can we what can we make here and yeah I guess that's kind of how it
0: was born so you'd been living in in Washington Heights for a little while and um you know you were that was kind of like a jumping off point for you is like wanting to like explore um you know that specific neighborhood um but I'm just kind of curious like um you know beyond like the the actual story and kind of like the original inspiration um, like what was the approach, you know, working with the rest of your, your crew, your, like your DP and and such about like, um, you know, do you do any research about like how you wanted to approach shooting the neighborhood? Cause um, you know, there's a lot of like really tight shots and stuff. That's like very, very intimate, but we are kind of getting a sense of space as well. So yeah. Sorry. I was kind of a, no, no. A no lot I there, I,
1: yeah. Um, well, I guess, you know, when I was talking to my DP, Aaron, um, our sort of rule of thumb was, um, you know, we thought about the the structure of the story in two parts, you know, before this incident and after, and we thought, okay, let's, if before, let's um, see how loud and noisy and, you know, abrasive we can be with the camera, you know, how, how crazy can we be? And then after this incident, let's try just being very, very still. Um, and uh, it's not just with the camera, it's with the sound design too. Um, you'll notice that every, it's so chaotic, um you know the New York City street, all the noises that you hear walking down a, a New York sidewalk are magnified before this incident, and then um as soon as this thing happens uh it gets very very quiet um and uh yeah that was um that was one kind of just general rule that we talked about I did
0: want to specifically bring the the sound design up because that was something that um really stood out for me um and you know, and I'm wondering like how much of that was stuff that you were picking up on set and then just kind of like really mixing up in post or, you know, were you throwing in some Foley and stuff to like kind of create a a soundscape because throughout I was really kind of just like noticing a lot of background sounds yeah. and stuff um, in a way that I don't necessarily normally do in film, and it definitely was kind of adding to the tension yeah. <laughs> that I was feeling throughout.
1: Yeah, I, uh, a lot of the soundscape was actually built by um, the the genius uh, Lorenzo Rossi, who I believe is a, a fellow alum of uh, your festival. Um, oh yeah, Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Uh, he uh, I basically gave him, um, you know, the film and said, um, I, like I just said to you, I you know I want it to be very very chaotic. Um, before this incident and then see how quiet you can make realistically make it, uh, in New York for the the second half of the movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park. I was just so impressed, uh, with, with what he could do. Um, he must have like a, a, a library of, of noises that he used because when he sent it back, there was, you know, very natural New York city noises in there that I don't remember, you know, getting on set. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, he, he did great with it.
0: And then another question along the sort of soundscape, uh, and I also had a chance to, um, you know, a, a check out, um, one of your previous films, Last Meal as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and I noticed that there's kind of some similarities in, like in the way you approach filmmaking in both, both of those, both types and in that film. Um, no music. Uh, right. that is that like, that's like a, it seems like a really intentional choice and it definitely, you know it does it, it and so also in that the other film like I was just like very aware of kind of like the sort of like fluorescent like buzz of like the kind of like prison institutional setting and stuff so um like what just like what's your philosophy on like approaching scoring or not scoring a film
1: um I mean I guess uh if I'm were to use music um it's to. Like you said, underscore or supplement an emotion that you want the audience to feel. Um, uh, a, a movie I just made, I did use music in the last scene because I wanted to be. I wanted it to make sure that the audience was feeling what I wanted them to feel. Um, but if, you know, for for Last Meal and for Heights, um, I don't know. Sometimes the situation um, that you've built and showing how a character uh, reacts in a situation, you don't really need music to. Um, to kind of get across the emotion, I think. some if the plot, if the plot is so succinct and the and the premise is so, you know, strong, sometimes that just speaks for itself, and you don't need something like music to, to supplement it. Um, and I didn't think I needed it in Heights um, or Last Meal. I did. I did have a, a bit of music in Heights um, in a very early cut. Um, it was sort of like a, just a periodical, um, uh, like a violin tone that happened in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. Um, and I took it out and I showed it to some people and I was like, "Do you, did you miss the music? And they're like, oh, I didn't even notice. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, it, it depends, but most of the time I, I see if I can get the emotion across without it.
0: Another sort of like point of comparison for me between these two films um, and just kind of just trying to uh, like suss out a little bit about like your, um, your artistic sensibilities, um, you know, as a writer director um, you know both of these films kind of uh like the exciting incident is because some character like makes like kind of an everyday sort of like you know just like not really like paying attention and then like has like some sort of dilemma that arises um but just like very kind of like natural everyday sort of scenarios as well, but that still result in some something really dramatic that makes for a compelling watching so just like curious, like what, what's your approach to storytelling and character in that way? And is this, is this like sort of, you know, is this the sort of like the through line of your work? Like, is this like people moving forward? Like this is a major film because, yeah. you know, you know, that, you know, something like somewhat banal is going to happen, but like, is like actually like really tense.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. Um, Yeah. I think if, if, the protagonist is making the mistake themselves, then they're putting themselves in a moral dilemma that they have to uh, cope with for the rest of the movie. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's, it's totally present in almost everything I do. Uh, you know, um, I'm working on a, a feature a script right now about a, a hazing accident at a prep school and um, the protagonist is a, um, a senior. Who um, is the one doing the hazing, and uh, you know the rest of the movie is about his journey and the guilt that he um, that he has to carry and the you know the the moral dilemma that he has to find his way out of. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's totally something that I'm inter- interested in and I keep revisiting. Um, you know, as as you can see, uh, as you saw in Last Meal and in Heights, you know, our protagonist makes a mistake, and um, there's also a an element of uh, a character. Th- um, asking themselves if they should say something to somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sort of keeping that secret.
0: In both your films, uh, both these films, I don't know, I keep talking about Last Meal. We're not here to talk about Last Meal. <laughs> but, but in Heights especially, <laughs> um, you get such natural performances. Um, so I'm just curious, um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the rehearsal process you did with the two young actors, but just like, what's, just like, what's your, like overall approach you know you know you, as a writer director you're obviously very thinking about the from straight from the scripts that you've developed and that you're putting together but how do you how do you direct um to this sort of i don't know it's, it's like uh, i don't know it's almost like you almost like like non-professional actors like maybe that you have like a tendency to work with or something but like definitely sort of like achieve that sort of like hypernaturalism?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think with kids, especially um, uh, if you can find kids who haven't had, you know, aren't like theater kids or Broadway kids who are like conditioned to act a certain way and really put it on. um, These kids that uh, in heights um, were in a theater group, but they never worked on a movie. Um, They might've done a play. Um, So they didn't have that much experience. So they, they, you know, um, going into it, it was easy to sort of condition them um, in rehearsal to, uh, come up with their own ideas and be creative and try things. Even during a take, you know, they were, uh, that's why, you know, we, we prepped for so long because on set, I I just wanted them to be comfortable, you know, trying something or coming up with an idea or, you know, walking over that way instead of this way, or, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the naturalism comes out of in the first scene in the movie, um, you know, we didn't rehearse that we just said okay let's go in a bodega and kick a ball around and just just trash talk each other um and uh you know i, I brought a camera to rehearsals and i even brought like a microphone and i would uh say like hey uh, guys i'm gonna say sound you know camera action and so they were used to that by the time we got on set they were used to hearing sound camera action um so that didn't bother them at all and uh yeah they were just um really good sports about trying stuff and not being afraid and we got so much good Material out of
0: that, you know. The, one of the things that um, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, like, kind of this, like, in in Heights, there's this kind of before and after, right? Like, there's there's a, a feeling, like, before and after this sort of like major um, inciting event to kind of like, sure, uh, kind of creates two halves to the film. Um, but even though even though in the in the second half, you know, things got more quiet, more still. Um, it really felt like there was this just, like, very, uh, very tight pacing throughout. Like, you just, like, like, there was, like, a real, like, narrative thrust continuously, even, even, um, even know, when we got to a point where, like, people weren't really sure what was happening, like, uh, you know, what was, what was going on, um, you know, as a result uh, of the incident, and, uh, you know, what, what was happening, but, like, th- it still felt like, There was a lot of cohesion in the through line. I'm wondering how much of that um, for you, um, you know, especially as you mentioned, like some of this stuff was kind of improvised on set. Uh, How much of that was in the script? How much of that was in the edit? um, And how how did you kind of keep that um, that sort of pacing up? So, even though, even when, you know, there was a lot of like dialogue free scenes towards the end or like, just like kind of quieter type. um, Yeah. Um,
1: well, in terms of structure, um, all of those scenes were, were written and planned. Um, but inside each scene, uh, the stuff that happened wasn't necessarily, you know, scripted. Um, like in the last scene in the bedroom, you know, there might've been a couple of lines or looks that we decided to do on set. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it was really important to me to keep it in one, one day. Uh, I just love, you know, Films or stories that you know are. Uh, I, have a, I have a teacher who always uh, says the thing about short films is um, think of it as the afternoon when X happens. Okay, um, so that's. I mean, I that's. I like thinking about stories like that. You know, kind of just short time frames, and you know, almost like the the amount of time to watch the film is close to the amount of time that elapses in the film.
0: It sounded like you you um, had kind of outlined some of those scenes. Um, but we're able to kind of like feel it out on set, and then like kind of bring it together in the edit. As far yeah, as like yeah. The, the feeling of like the co- the cohesive through line of the whole piece. Um, and you were mentioning that uh, um, it was you know for you, it was like it was important that it was the story was set all within the space of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was mostly um. Each scene after the incident was pretty much uh, written. There was one scene. Um, where we were walking from a location to another location and we saw uh, an ambulance drive by and we like turned on the camera and the sound and we said okay we had our little actor um eliza the main character we said okay we're just going to film you watching this ambulance driving by um and we thought okay maybe we can use this in the edit somehow um and it was it was great like he just turned it on right away we put the camera on and we just he knew what to do i didn't have to coach him and he just like watched this ambulance uh just you know drive right by him um, it didn't end up going in just cause rhythmically it didn't kind of work. Um, but yeah, that, that's just kind of, that was our mindset, you know, on the film, just, you know, how let's be creative on set and, you know, let's come up with stuff and if it works great. If it doesn't,
0: who cares? Awesome. Well, um, you know, as we're wrapping up here, major, um, this is the opportunity to, um, say a little bit about like you know, where people can find you, where people can find the film, where people can like, you know, you know, either your website, your social handles, any of that kind of good stuff. People can uh, see what's next.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the film is available on my website. It's majordorfman.com. Um, I also have a Vimeo. You can find the film there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have a film called 4th of July that, um, will be hitting festivals soon. Um, and, um, I was trying to shoot something in January that's COVID-friendly. Um, so that's kind of what I'm <laughs> working on right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Major. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. It was great to be here. And thanks you for listening. Uh, for more information on NIFTY 2020, the talented youth and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at nfsty or Instagram at Film For more podcasts and partyfish media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts, or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media.